Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen. He'll be back with you next week to kick off a new year. Here we are, just about wrapped up with 2023. We have a busy couple more days that I'll be filling in today. We're going to be talking markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We're going to talk with Aaron Borer with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We'll look at how 2023 has gone for U.S. meat exports and what's the outlook for 2024. And we also hope to talk with Kansas Senator Roger Marshall. We'll talk about the border crisis and the latest on the farm bill. Lots of things to talk about. Kind of a Washington update with Senator Marshall coming up later in the program. Again, hope your holiday season is going well. We're happy to be joined to kick off the program today by DTN reporter Todd Neely. How are you, Todd? Good, Mike. How are you doing? Good. Been a while. Been following you yeah. on uh, Twitter. I know that you're watching uh, the fortunes of your corn huskers. Uh, I know you got some optimism yeah. for your football season next year, right? Well, we're eternally optimistic. It's been <laughs> 20 years, so we've gotten used to it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Of course, here we are in the midst of bowl season. Lots of games going on here this holiday season. But something we're watching going on closely in the ag world, and that's uh, more scrutiny and more uh, drama, if you will, around a couple of ag chemicals. And give us an update. Where are we on this? Well, yeah, Mike, you know, there's always uh, there, there's never a shortage of legal action and, you know, waiting for EPA actions on on ag chemicals. Uh, one of the ones that uh, we've been following closely is chlorpyrifos, which is an insecticide. Uh, you know, this, this chemical has been through a, a long legal battle over the years. And uh, at one point, EPA had come out and said they were going to remove the chemical from the shelves. They were going to close it down, basically. Um, and then we had a, another court ruling, uh, which came from the Eighth Circuit Court, basically restoring the, the uses. There were 11 uses that the agency identified as, as relatively safe and and that sort of thing. And so we're, we're kind of down to now waiting to see what the EPA is going to do. They um, they had an announcement, I believe it was last week, um, that they were going to restore the chemical back to the shelves uh, based on those 11 uses. And so uh, they also said that they're not making any announcement or any cancellations on the cancellations and so we're still kind of waiting to see if epa is going to put out some sort of a a notice saying that they're going to have it available for 2024 um and then uh you know we've we've had this ongoing saga when it comes to glyphosate which is uh the ag the ag uh chemical that's the basis for roundup Uh, you know bear had announced that they're taking uh, glyphosate off the shelves when it comes to uh, residential uses but we've still been uh, we've been hearing a lot about glyphosate as it refers to ag, and now we're at a point where uh, we've got yet another petition filed by food safety and ag worker groups that are basically um, asking the agency to pull it from the shelves. And so, um, as you probably know, we've been having a, a number of Roundup trials that have been ongoing, and you know the verdicts have been up and down for Bear. And uh, throughout all of it, the company stood by glyphosate and, and Roundup. And so uh, we're going to have another round of, uh, you know, the EPA considering yet another uh, another petition. So that's kind of where we stand. So 
on on hold, right? Just uh, in a waiting pattern again. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that uh, when you look at glyphosate, you know, it's uh, it's been highly controversial. You know, we've had uh, we've had a number, like I said, we've had a number of trials that went against Bayer. But yet, when you look at the scientific data and and the information out there, uh, there's not a lot to suggest that it's that it's really all that dangerous. At least the major, uh, you know, ag, ag bodies and regulatory bodies across the across the world, in fact, have have stood by glyphosate. And so, yeah, that one seems to be in a holding pattern. And then, when it comes to chlorpyrifos, um, still waiting to see. We you know, with 2024 fast approaching, I think a lot of people would like to have that available. And, uh, we'll wait and see what the EPA says. Glyphosate has to be one of the most studied, scrutinized products ever. I mean, it, it seems like this has been yeah. ongoing since it was introduced. Yeah, you know, and Mike, uh, Bayer had come out with uh, a different uh, active ingredient for, for Roundup, and they were basically on the road to, uh, you know, trying to, at least when the residential uses are concerned, at least use a different active ingredient. Uh, glyphosate's been one of those products that has been highly effective for agriculture, and it's one of those things I think that, um, you know, Bear, like I said, Bear's a lot of resources behind defending this product, and they, they continue to do that. So. so we continue to wait. Meanwhile, we're also waiting to see what's going to happen with getting year-round sales of E15. I mean, uh, this push continues, uh, but we're still needing some final word on this. Yeah, you know, Mike, we uh, it's been a while now. There were eight Midwest states that basically asked the EPA for a waiver uh, through the Clean uh, the Clean Air Act to be able to sell it year-round on a permanent basis. Um, and so EPA has kind of sat on that on those petitions. Uh, they've already gone way, way, way past deadlines of when they were supposed to finalize. In fact, uh, it's not really at the agency's discretion whether to approve or disapprove. When the states come forward and and ask for waivers to allow uh, to allow this. Um, the Clean Air Act states that uh, EPA shall do that. And so, uh, you know, it's been in court. I think there's a lawsuit in Iowa that's, that's pending on E15 and, and this delay. Um, the EPA has sent the final rule to the Office of Management and Budget at the White House. And so we're kind of waiting now to see if they come out with a finalized rule and whether it gets published and all that. It could be middle of January or beyond that when that happens. But um, we've got Iowa and Nebraska, I think, that's challenging it in court. And so they're kind of pressing from that side of it, too. And so still doesn't answer the bigger question, though. Um, what about it on a national basis? You know, we're still seeing um, we're still seeing administrations come out and having to issue uh, emergency waivers to allow it to be sold in the summertime across the nation. So that's something that's still out there pending, at least legislatively. There's been proposals to uh, to make it uh, permanent year-round across the country. And once again, we have seen where deadlines seemingly have no meaning at all uh, <laughs> to the government. I mean, they can just, you know, overlook those and, and do it on a regular basis. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, too, Mike, uh, you know, especially on E15, there's been a lot of pressure from, from petroleum groups not all petroleum groups. There, there are many that, that would like to see E15 be a permanent thing available all the time. And, uh, but yeah, EPA, when it comes to at least a lot of the ethanol issues, it seems like deadlines have been blown through quite often. Yeah. 
repeatedly. I mean, it's just it's it's amazing <laughs> why why they even set deadlines if they're not going to follow them. But they expect the government always expects us to meet deadlines uh, on different <laughs> things, but uh, they don't seem to do it on their own uh, themselves. All right, good to talk with you again, Todd. Uh, take care and have a happy yeah. new year. You too, Mike. Thanks for letting me come on. Always good to have you. DTN reporter Todd Neely. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Wow, what a roller coaster wild year for the markets 2023 has been. Probably going to be more of the same coming up in 2024. We're going to get his outlook. And speaking of outlook, we'll also be talking with Aaron Borer with the U.S. Meat Export Federation looking ahead to 2024. What's the outlook for our U.S. meat exports? We'll get that coming up a little bit later in the program as well. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? Stop. That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Just a little heads up before something bad happens. Move your coffee cup away from your computer. Oh, no, 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 no. So you can have more control. Stop. You're texting your boss by mistake. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Warning, the cap is loose on that catch-up. Don't wait. You have the power to change the outcome. 
Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. All right, Mike Adams sitting in today for Jesse. He'll be back with you next week. Joined now by Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Want to talk about markets as we look back at 2023 and ahead to 2024. Matt, good to talk with you. Hope you're having a good holiday season. Absolutely, bud. I'm, uh, you know, uh, we're surviving. The kids are uh, not going to school, so they want to be up late every night. And I'm, uh, I'm just trying to hang, to be honest with you. <laughs> trying to, trying to keep going and keep up with them, right? So yeah, a little change yeah. in schedule this time of year. Well, I, I mentioned yeah. earlier what a wild ride the markets have been in 2023. Uh, when you look back on this year, what what stands out to you? Oh, boy, there's a lot of things. You know, whenever I, I go back, for instance, and just, just look at one contract, you know, uh, you know, Jan 1 uh, of 23, you know, or Jan uh, the 3rd, I guess, of 23, you know, you started out the year, you opened uh, these 24 corn at 564. Now, I know it was a deferred contract at the time. You know, obviously, we're uh, 60 cents off of that. <laughs> but we saw a whole lot of volatility, of course, in the middle of the summer time frame, you know, there's some angst about whether we're going to raise a crop. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously we had some very stressful conditions, but at the same time we came out on the other side of it with awfully good crops considering what they went through. And I think we continue to see that, you know, some of the genetics that we've uh, been able to develop over the course of the last several years you know, just really handle stress well. Now, one of these times, I think they're going to hit their tipping point, you know, and uh, we've seen that in the West over the last couple of years. But I guess the thing that stands out to me the most is that the market continues to, uh, you know, uh, play a, a game of chicken, I guess, uh, uh, whenever it comes to weather. I do think, Mike, that the increased carry levels or stocks for the U.S. and for the world are something we should not ignore. Uh, maybe we get a little pop out of Brazilian weather, uh but if they continue to see these forecasts improve, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that a 60 cent loss, you know, for these 25 corn from the start of uh, this year uh, to this time next year, it might not be out of the question. Yeah, when we talk weather and we look and you mentioned the weather concerns we had here in the U.S., especially in the West this year. And even though we're getting some precipitation here at the end of the year, I mean, that's still the big story going into next year, right? And, and, and water levels on the rivers. And I mean, we got a lot of catching up to do in places on moisture. We do, you know, and I, I so I went out and I, you know, did some uh, presentations there in uh, December and every place I was at, and I was in several locations, uh, it was a resounding, uh, uh, the same message from producers. Hey, I don't want to sell anything, whether it's old, new, because we're dry as bone. Uh-huh. Guys that are out tiling can't find any moisture. You know, you, you're hearing that a lot uh, through Iowa, parts of Illinois, into Indiana. You know, there's a lot of areas that, uh, you know, that, that are running major deficits. Right here in my neck of the woods, we had over an inch over the weekend, which was sure nice for the topsoil. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we would need, oh, you know, six inches of rain at least just to start thinking about getting recuperated. You know, you're not too far from me, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, you know, this this is definitely a situation where we don't want to go into, 
the year without some sort of reserve because if you have really good subsoil moisture, you know, on on good black ground, you know, like you've got and I've got, uh, you know, it definitely is going to serve you well. So uh, you got to hope that that drought monitor looks a lot better whenever uh, that March-April time frame rolls around. We're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, as we look ahead to 2024, uh, of course, we keep a close eye always on, on South America. And we also keep another eye closely on on China. What are they going to do? What, what do you see, and there's plenty of political tension, obviously, always going on, but what do you see as far as market trends and their, their buying? Are we getting any signals of what 2024 might look like? Yeah, I mean, when you look at 2024, um, the the thing, again, that jumps out at me is that I believe you're going to have a bit of a headwind uh, to try to get the kind of rally action we saw over the last couple of years. So, you know, when you look, for instance, at corn, uh, both the world balance sheet and the U.S. balance sheet, uh, you know, you're in a stocks building scenario. So, you know, U.S. stocks go from, what, 1.3 to 2.15. And so, and that's the current projection. Uh, obviously, these can change, but uh, you, you'd have to come up with some serious demand, you know, to uh, uh, to, to to do something other than basically build 50% stocks type situation. So, you know, uh, world, U.S., those balance sheets look cumbersome. Okay, as far as beans are concerned, uh, world balance sheet looks a little cumbersome right now, but we also know Brazil could you could take 10, 15 million tons out of that crop potentially uh, to where it gets back to that 100 million tons that we've been around here for the last few years. Uh, but as far as the U.S. balance sheet, it's pretty tight. You know, I mean, you've got uh, the crush industry continues to expand. There's some excitement there. Uh, you know, margins have been awfully good as far as crush margins are concerned, and so. You know, I, I do think that there's a story maybe for soybeans, but at the same time, if, uh, you know, if Brazil turns around and has a decent crop, I, I got to be cautious as to get super bullish over $13 beans. And so uh, the one thing I'd point out, as I say all of what I just said, is that the cost to put this crop out is going to be a lot less than what it was a year ago. And so, you know, most of the growers we're talking to, their fertilizer costs plummeted. And so that gives them the opportunity at $5 plus corn for 24 you have to actually lock in a worst-case scenario above water. And uh, the unfortunate reality, Mike, is that a lot of producers for 23, and I'm talking specifically corn, are going to have a real hard time finding black ink. And the reason is that we booked a heck of a lot of fertilizer at excessively high prices, and we didn't get enough corn sold while we were doing it. Wow. Which leads me into my next question. We're, we're about to enter that game, uh, the guessing game of acres uh, for next year. Uh, you know, a lot of farmers are locked into rotations, but uh, some of the factors you just mentioned could impact their decision on some acres, what they're going to plant next year. Yeah, you know, so like you look at like that 65 cent dropping price I'm talking about, uh, you know, throughout the course of the year on these 24 corn, that would lead you to believe you're going to lose some acres. So last year you essentially had a 10 million acre gap between corn and beans. You know, you lose that kind of price off of corn, you know, and then you you turn around and you look. Well, you know what happened with soybeans. You know, you've got uh, no twenty or uh, you've got no twenty four trading at twelve sixty seven. You know, right now, and you go back to Jan one, and you know you're trading at what uh, thirteen twenty six. So, uh, you know, I mean, yes, you've lost ground there as well, but relatively speaking, nothing near what you've lost as far as corn's concerned on a percentage basis. So, uh, one would have to think. Uh, based on a couple of factors that I just mentioned, 
you're going to see that gap in acreage narrow substantially. Uh, you know, I, I, how much? I mean, I think that you could get down to, at one time I thought you could see a 90 and 90 type split, and I don't think you plan 180 million acres, to be honest with you, but I'm saying more of an even split. Uh, but I don't think that'll happen because cheap fertilizer prices are going to enable those that really like planting corn. Let's face it, a lot of folks really like planting corn. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you'll still have more corn than beans. So right now, Mike, if I was going to, uh, you know, uh, make a make a guess, I'd say uh, ninety one and a half, and you know, maybe uh, 80, 87 and a half, 88. It'll be interesting to see, and of course, spring weather impacts that somewhat as well. Uh, what about wheat? It's the wheat market's always interesting. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the wheat market right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the wheat market. Whenever you look at how it's reacted here lately, you know, uh, there towards the end of November, you know, it just seemed like the wheat market could not catch a break. Finally, we bounced. Had uh, several good days in a row. China stepped in, bought a bunch of wheat. Uh, definitely was a lifeline for this wheat market. And then we've kind of stabilized. But I would say even uh, even after we've stabilized, we haven't plummeted back to the lows that, you know, that we saw previously. I mean, you know, you traded this wheat down to like 585, 586 type level, you know, and, and now, you, you know, you're sitting here and you're trading, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, 60 cents, uh, 70 cents above that. So, you know, I mean, whenever you look at this wheat, I've got to think that you'll have some support in here. Australia doesn't have a great crop. There's still some angst about how much wheat's going to flow out of the Black Sea region. But I don't think you can get wildly higher. You know, uh, the uh, crazy uh, reactions that we saw with the Black Sea region happenings, uh, they don't happen anymore. You know, you saw a ship bombed over the weekend. We didn't get a 50-cent move like we used to. So, you know, I think that those have been mitigated somewhat. Uh, I'm not super uh, bearish or bullish wheat right now. I'm, I'm I'm probably in more of a sideways to supportive tone, uh, but I'm not bullish. Seems like the events that we usually think will be big market movers aren't, and then vice versa. Something that we don't see as a big market mover does seem to move the markets. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, it's it, it's pretty wild, uh, you know, to watch this wheat market. I mean, nobody thought that China's going to come in and buy the kind of wheat that they did. You know, I know there's been a lot of whispers in the market lately that maybe China's going to step in and buy some U.S. corn, and, you know, maybe continue with a bit of a program as far as wheat's concerned. Uh, it's going to be interesting how that all flows, though, because you've had all the issues with the Red Sea. Uh, and so, you know, it looks to me like the P&W is going to have to handle a heck of a lot of business. So uh, it's going to be very interesting moving forward. Sounds like another wild year coming in 2024. Matt, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Happy New Year. Absolutely, bud. Absolutely. Same to you. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us. Aaron Borer with the U.S. Meat Export Federation with Outlook for 2024 for meat exports. That's next on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that 
medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains are mixed this morning. Beans and wheat are higher. Corn is hovering right around unchanged. Livestock is also mixed with hogs higher, fats and feeders lower. Now, as corn is meandering around the unchanged level this morning, it is still about eight cents higher than the season low. Weather in South America from now through next week is expected to bring much needed moisture to the driest areas of Brazil, with some heavy totals likely for key producing regions of Mato Grosso and Goiás. Cumulative totals are expected to be from one to two inches in many locations, with the possibility for up to three or more inches of rain in some areas. Showers will also move across northern Argentina with some heavy in the northeast and into the Rio Grande do Sul area of southern Brazil. And according to Conab, just over 50% of Brazil's soy crop is flowering or filling pods this week. Now, U.S. corn demand is running 36% higher than a year ago on export sales and 28% higher on inspections. U.S. corn export demand should accelerate in coming months, but Brazil is still very active on shipping. They're sending out an expected 7 million metric tons of corn in December. Now, USDA seems way too high on their corn estimate for Brazil at 129 million metric tons and some 10 to 11 million metric tons higher than other private estimates. Now, that may be adjusted in the January report. We'll just have to wait and see there. The EIA will also be out today with their weekly petroleum report with expectations that ethanol production could be steady this week. Ethanol production is trending 4% higher than last year, but average Midwest margins are said to have fallen to just 5 to 10 cents per gallon. That's compared to 50 cents two months ago. Now, in other news, a Panama vessel hit a mine in the Black Sea, causing injuries and damage, and travel through the Black Sea and the Red Sea continue to be fraught with danger for vessel owners. That vessel that was hit was headed for the Danube River port to load grain. The Dow is hanging out right around unchanged this morning, while the dollar is about 15 cents off and crude oil prices are about 30 cents lower. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. Hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And this is Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen. Jesse will be back with you next week. Well, here we are at the end of the year. We do a lot of reviewing of the year that we're wrapping up, as well as looking ahead to the coming year. want to do that now with 
Meat Exports. And joining us is Erin Bohr. She is Vice President for Economic Analysis for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Erin, thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you again. Hi, Mike. Great to talk with you. Um, as we look at 2023, I know you got some good numbers that we look back on, um, some developments, a little more access uh, into China. That helps and kind of bodes hopefully well for the, the coming year. Yeah, I think so. I kind of look at 2023 as the year of adjustment after COVID and ASF and lots of chaos. And 2024, there are a lot of you know, potential wild cards yet again, but it looks like more growth for U.S. pork exports and more challenges for U.S. beef given our supply situation, but that continued value add from the export side, you know, remains critical. Overall for 2023, what were the highlights for you? Oh boy. Well, again, it's kind of a opposite situations. <clears throat> For U.S. beef and pork. And so the highlight on the pork side was, of course, resuming our competitiveness and retaking market share in many markets around the world. We know it's not all victory because it's such a challenging situation for U.S. pork producers, but exports are holding essentially our record dollars per head and near that record share of production being exported. So being able to add as much value as we can. And on the beef side, Um, Again, we've been through these supply situations before and alternating supplies with Australia or alternating that production situation, that cycle is opposite of Australia's. And so we started to see that unfolding in 2023 and we're going to see more of it in 2024. But seeing the resilience and really that continued demand for U.S. beef, we know it's kind of a shock coming off of the highs of 2021 and 2022. But looking back historically, we're still holding strong. We're still the top supplier into many of these key markets, including places like Japan, Korea, Mexico. And so their demand for that high-quality U.S. beef is going to sustain. We're just going to have to live through this cycle yet again. Yeah, I think that's the key uh, when we look at at beef exports. The demand is there. Uh, Now, we have some challenges on the production side, as you pointed out. But uh, it's not like you have to go out and create demand. It is there. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at Australia's rebound in their production and exports, their exports this year will be up about 25%. That's from a low, low level. And most of that growth is on grass fed. And so their growth on the grain fed side is going to be an increase of, I don't know, call it six, eight percent. But grass fed is over 70% of their export volume. And the grass fed growth is going to come in closer to like 30%. And so they are competing there on the lean cuts, but that demand for, again, high-quality U.S. beef is strong. We saw our killed beef market share into Korea, our top customer, reach 68%. So Korea is buying less chilled Australian beef, even though the availability has increased. And I think that's, again, testament to, like you said, that demand for U.S. beef. Always interesting to see those ebbs and flows in, in certain uh, products, certain cuts, certain brands. I mean, you, you see that, and where one may be down, uh, there's you know, have an uptick in another area. So that, that's the ebb and flow of markets. Absolutely. And I think one key example there is the strength we've seen in Latin America. So 
Obviously, in Mexico, we saw the we've seen the biggest beef volumes into that market since 2019, and places like the Dominican Republic, the Caribbean, these kind of you know more local markets where U.S. dominates, whether we're talking beef or pork, we have seen growth into those markets, even as our key Asian customers came back a bit off of the record highs that we'd put in the year prior. And so, like you said, there's always, you know, there's always somebody who's in a better position to buy more or has run low on inventory or has seen, in the case of last year, a stronger rebound in food service here in our Latin American markets. And then, of course, the currency impact. So, Japan is one we're really watching for maybe a breakthrough in 2024. Of course, currencies, you know, who knows? But we have seen that Japanese yen um, recover closer to 142. It had pushed to 152 um, in November. And so hopefully seeing some strength in that Japanese yen as we see some changes from the central banks, both possibly both in Japan and in the U.S., and that's one market that we know has really been slammed by the impact of the weak yen. So the Japanese customer is very discerning, but they're also very frugal. And they look for, you know, that, that bargain option. And U.S. beef and pork, we're facing both facing pricing challenges because we're such a, such a big supplier of chilled, you know, high value product into the Japanese market. So hopefully that's one area that we'll see kind of pivot in 2024. We're talking with Aaron Bohr with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Aaron, you've pointed out some of the challenges that we face in exports. I mean, there are political challenges, economic challenges, supply challenges. I mean, there are so many things that can happen that can impact these numbers we're talking about as far as meat exports yeah absolutely it's hard to uh not get distracted by everything that's going on out there um but i know dan holstrom our ceo is telling our international team every day can't worry about the variables we can't control including the competitors but we have to you know, market u.s beef and pork and those attributes day in and day out and so i think again that's the value of our boots on the ground and they are adept to, you know, kind of an ever-changing situation. We've certainly seen so much through COVID that they are able to pivot as needed. And they know that the U.S. beef and pork industries need exports, you know, as much as ever, given the, the financial situation and given the fact that we must drive the highest value per animal on the beef side, too, just to incentivize the rebuild that is needed. So they're out there working creatively. Um doing you know doing what they can with each segment of the chain in these markets and hopefully we'll look at again another record in u.s pork exports in 2024 i think this year we'll probably finish up around eight percent close to eight percent and look for another roughly four percent increase next year also to note on the pork side we will likely set a value record this year um, and go ahead and push beyond that again next year. So U.S. pork exports should be about $8.2 billion in 2023 and push closer toward $8.5 billion in 2024. And on the beef side, you have that slowdown in 2023, probably ending down about 10 to 13%. We'll be close to $10 billion. But expect to hold close to that on the value basis in 2024, 
But we will see that volume slide again, maybe down another, say, 3 to 5%. But I do think the big adjustment is behind us um, in those 2023 numbers. Also find it interesting, and when you think back on this year, really, in this administration, we've really not seen much emphasis or movement on trade deals. So uh, there hasn't been anything on that front to kind of open things up. So to to have these kind of numbers and continue to be strong going into another year, that, that speaks volumes for the market development work that you've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that our existing FTAs, you know, are as important as ever. So we look at the upcoming, you know, future competitor of Brazil, and Brazil is pretty limited on their FTAs. And so, like you said, we don't have new market access per se, but our existing FTAs are pretty darn valuable. And so, with Brazil having at least temporary access into Mexico, for example, of course, the pork side is currently suspended by Mexican court case, and. In Mexico, they've seen temporary zero-duty access, but that is to expire at the end of this year. And after that, Brazil will face 20% tariffs, and same with Dominican Republic, um, tariffs of 25% on Brazilian pork, which is new access, and even higher duties on beef into that market. So, again, kind of our, we think of them as our markets. We dominate in places like Mexico and the DR, so seeing Brazil gain access is kind of intimidating. But we have the trade agreements and Brazil does not. I think the other thing is our sanitary status, so our animal health. And the absolute critical, critical point of maintaining, you know, free of African swine fever, free of foot and mouth disease, and that superior sanitary status, which does allow us on the animal health side to have access into these markets. You know, we're still facing lingering BSE-related barriers, uh, in a handful of markets, Korea being one of those. And so we know from the past that it takes forever to get rid of barriers once they're introduced mm-hmm. on a sanitary basis. So another reminder that we you know, must not rest on our laurels and absolutely have to keep animal, foreign animal disease out of this country. Real quick, what's a market to watch in 2024? Oh, boy. I don't even want to say this, but China... Um, China is the biggest importer of you know, basically everything, and they have been kind of a, a, a holdback on the pork side because of their excess production this year. But that piglet price didn't drop until November, so kind of a late stage liquidation, or it's taken longer. But be watching for China in 2024, and then their consumers, their confidence has been destroyed. But that doesn't last forever. So watch for a Chinese consumer that possibly reemerges as well, which would impact on the beef side. Um, but really, we, we can't ignore what happens in China, just given their huge impact. Always good to talk with you, Aaron. Thanks a lot. Have a happy new year and um, give my best to John Harris. Keep him in line, okay? Will do. Thanks so much, Mike. <laughs> All right. Aaron Bohr, Vice President for Economic Analysis for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, I'm News Correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. 
and that day our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. Children are the greatest joy and our best hope for a better future. Friends, they are the future. But did you know that millions of kids right here in our own backyard are facing hunger every day? Without healthy food, it's harder to grow, to thrive, to feel their best. The impact when children don't have enough to eat is tremendous because when you're hungry and your basic needs aren't being met, you cannot learn. Every child deserves to be fed. This is a problem we know how to solve. Food is not just food. It's energy, health, confidence, hope, and even love. Yes, love. Breakfast in the classroom contributes to kids being more focused, which leads to higher grades, and simply just their well-being. Thank you! Learn more about how No Kid Hungry is helping end child hunger in America at helpnokidhungry.org. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply, about how the right fuel will keep equipment running in the winter. Charlie, what happens to diesel fuel in equipment when temperatures drop, and why does that matter? Standard number two diesel fuel generally does not fare well in cold temperatures. Diesel fuel can form crystals and clog filters and fuel lines, and prolonged freezing temps can cause engines to not operate properly. That can basically lead to that dreaded downtime that we all hate. So uh, it's really important to take precautions to prevent these issues from occurring, especially in cold weather conditions. Charlie, when should farmers switch their diesel blends? Yeah, so every situation is going to be slightly different and somewhat temperature dependent. So it's important that you work with a knowledgeable fuel supplier who has a grasp on the diesel characteristics in their geography. With that being said, you should be blending your tanks to a winter blend when temperatures are right around the freezing point or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's important to blend early and when the fuel is at least 10 degrees above the cloud point of the fuel or it won't mix well together. When you're thinking about cost and performance, what's the best way to determine the best winter fuel blend? So you will need to decide really what's best for your individual operation and what temperature you expect to be able to operate your equipment in. So if your operation relies on your equipment needing to be up in those harshest climates, you're undoubtedly going to need to invest in a diesel blend that's going to meet those needs. You're going to run the risk of being stranded on the side of the road, unable to perform your critical tasks. So it's best to discuss the specific needs with your fuel supplier as they're going to be able to deliver the high quality Senex fuels at the correct blends for optimal performance and peace of mind. Well, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. 
Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back. I'm Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen, who will be back with you next week. We're happy to have with us right now to wrap up our show today, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. Senator, thanks for joining us. Mike, Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. It's great to be with you. Well, we got a lot to talk about, so let's get right to it. Uh, let's start with the border crisis. And it's kind of amazing to me that now all of a sudden some in this country are, are are realizing it is a crisis. Some of us have been saying it for some time, but now some some people that up till now have kind of denied it, at least publicly, are now coming out and saying, hey, we've got a real issue, a real crisis on our hands now. Yeah, Mike, um, you know, where, where do we start? Every day, 10,000, 11,000, even 12,000 people crossing our border illegally in one day. And what's surprising to me is we have to beg the president of the United States to secure the border. We're begging him. Versus, I think, you know, he and I took an oath to defend uh, this country from enemies, both foreign and, and domestic. Our number one national security threat we're facing is this open border. Uh, FBI Director Ray was in front of us at a committee hearing a couple weeks ago, and he said in his entire career, he's never seen all the lights blinking red at the same time, lights of warning that we're, uh, that there's a terrorist attack brewing. And a lot of that is because of this 1.7 million gotaways that are filtered throughout this country. The cartel has a presence throughout the state of Kansas, and I'll guarantee you, no matter where your listeners are, the cartel is alive and well. And by the way, 300,000 Americans have died from fentanyl or opioid poisoning since Joe Biden was sworn in as well. 300,000 people, um, and most of that, 90% of that coming across the southern border. So yes, it's, it's been a crisis for several years and it's just exploding now and impacting everybody in their hometowns right now. So where are we as far as an immigration bill? And I, I must admit, I mean, I've, I've covered this for many years and thought we were close to getting a bill done, and then it, it didn't get done. So we'll see if it happens. But even now, it, it almost feels like now if you get one done, and hopefully you can, a good one, uh, it almost feels like you're closing the barn door after the horse gets out. I mean, it's because you've got millions of people that have already come across. So how do you deal with all of that? Yeah, there's no simple solution. So this president creates a crisis, then he tries to solve it. And that solution, like shutting down the trains, uh, carrying Kansas wheat into Mexico, shutting those down is another solution. So it just leads to one crisis after another. There's no simple solution. Mike, we're no closer today on fixing this problem than we were a month ago, three years ago. 
that until we secure the border, it's hard to have a meaningful talk on immigration policy. And I know that we've been facing a labor shortage crisis in Kansas now for at least two decades on my on my dairies and my, we have significant feedlots across the state of Kansas. We can't get workers. It's been that way for several decades as well. We came close to fixing this problem about four years ago when we had a bill on the floor uh, that went down by just a handful of votes. But really, we're no closer today on a solution. This president refuses to even have a serious discussion on policy changes that would impact the border. Just simply stated, if we would change the asylum rules, uh, his ability to parole people and go back to remain in Mexico we would solve 75% of the people that are crossing our border right now. 75% just fixing it with a policy change that he gave him could do without Congress, but he's not willing to even discuss that. So really, we're no closer today than we were a month ago, a year ago, three years ago. And the list of issues that are affiliated with this, I mean, the humanitarian side of it, certainly, uh, but also the infrastructure side of it, we're, I mean, we're being push beyond limits it seems on infrastructure the recent rail issue there that that's just another example of of potentially the problems we could be dealing with right let's just talk about that just just for a second so uh over a week ago the president shut down two of the main arteries carrying farm farm crops and really everything uh, out of kansas and other states uh through mexico uh, mexico let's celebrate usmca the USMCA has been a great trade agreement. Mexico is now our number one trade partner, over $900 billion in trade with Mexico this year. In comparison, China's at $600 billion. So here we have this great partner, and Joe Biden shuts down trains going into to, uh, Mexico. Mexico is the number one export for Kansas wheat, and additionally, we have a lot of soy meal. Soy crushing is really uh, soybean crushing is really exploding in the state of Kansas for the biofuels part of that. Then we send the, the mill down to Mexico, a lot of it. So shutting that down is hurting one of our best partners. And as you know, it's much easier to keep a good customer than it is to get a new one. So they sit there and we can't, they can't get wheat for the mill. Suddenly they're turning to other nations to bring in wheat into Mexico when no one can grow it, grow it more efficiently than Kansas farmers. And you look, I, I you know, there's the Dakotas, lots of states grow, go, grow wheat, but certainly it's still a cash crop for Kansas as well. So, and then that's going to impact the, the, the crops going down there. Lots of products coming back and forth as well, impacting the price at the grocery store. So like I said, he creates a crisis and his solution creates another crisis. And, to me, part of the frustration through this has been when the administration tries to tell us that they believe that or trying to convince us that the border was secure. We all could see that it wasn't. Yeah, just it, it is it is that simple. Like I said, there's not a community. There's not a state in, in uh, the country that's not been impacted by this. I, I know in Kansas, we're losing at least one person every day to fentanyl poisoning. We're using Narcan 10, 20 times every day across the state of Kansas. And just that human trafficking uh, is just exploding as well. You mentioned, you know, this humanitarian crisis as well. So the, the cartel is actually making more money from human trafficking now than they were from the from the from the drugs. And with with the cartel set up across the country now, uh, along with that comes lots of other organized crime activities. And then we have Chinese nationals here in this country that have came across the border unabated that are now taking this money back to uh, China. 
so, huge yeah, issues. What a crisis we got going on. Yeah, and it looks like it's going to continue for a while, but hopefully uh, we can get uh, some solutions here in this coming year. Senator Marshall, thank you for being with us, and uh, we'll hope for better news on this front in, in 2024. You bet, Mike. And the other thing I'm going to work on is getting interest rates lower. That's what's really killing my farmers back home. So we'll work on interest rates coming down, and everybody have a great day and a happy new year. Very good. Thank you, Senator. Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. That wraps it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about the Farm Bill. We're going to talk about issues at the Panama Canal. We'll be looking at the priorities for the beef industry in 2024 as well. Hope you'll join us. Mike Adams sitting in for Jesse Allen. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Give to the V Foundation. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. 100% of your donation goes directly to game-changing research. 100%. Donate at V.org. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. 